Well, apparently I created a, a bit of a stir a couple of weeks ago when in my church paper article, I called attention to the fact that some of us apparently feel there's no need to give our tithes and offerings when worship services are canceled due to the weather. You know, I had assumed that everyone that gives weekly would simply bring two checks with them the following week, but that uh, didn't prove to be the case. The offering was the best offering we've ever had, but we still fell short of our monthly projection by over $2,500. And I pointed out in the article how our commitments to missions remains the same, as do salaries and expenses, even when we miss a Sunday. Well, that led my brother-in-law to ask if that meant I shouldn't get paid if I don't preach. But uh, I assure you, I wasn't suggesting that. <laughs> <laughs> neither, neither was I trying to suggest that we are in financial straits, as, as some apparently concluded. Our balance is lower than it's been for a long time, but we intentionally brought it down by giving additional funds to missions last year. My motive in pointing out that some apparently didn't feel the need to maintain their tithe or their weekly level of giving, if they weren't here, really wasn't to get more money flowing into the church. It was simply a call to bring to attention the fact that some may have overlooked an important aspect of their giving. You know, our giving shouldn't be thought of as payment for something we receive on Sunday morning but an expression of gratitude for God's blessing and confidence in his provision. And God hasn't been silent about how we are to do that. In fact, God's word has a great deal to say about our role as stewards. You know, actually, one of six verses in the Gospels deal with man and his possessions. And 19 of 38 parables deal with some aspect of the same topic. There is 16 times as much about stewardship in the New Testament than about baptism, and 32 times as much about stewardship than the Lord's Supper. Jesus made it very clear that we cannot serve God and mammon, God and riches. And the Apostle Paul pointed out that the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and that by longing for it, some have wandered away from the faith. So stewardship is not a topic to be avoided in church paper articles or in sermons. And this morning we come to a very significant statement about stewardship in the conclusion of Paul's farewell address to the Ephesian elders. Recorded in Acts 20, 33 through 35, Paul said, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who are with me. 
In everything, I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Here we find an excellent framework for a frank discussion about stewardship. Paul set the example. He spoke of obligation, and he promised a blessing. We first note quite simply that he set the example. You know, we generally like to speak in generalities and not get too personal when talking about stewardship. We think of it as a private matter, and we know that we're not supposed to boast about our giving. Jesus even said we're not to let our right hand know what our left hand is doing when giving psalms, or alms, not psalms. <laughs> alms, that means gifts, okay? But Paul was not hesitant to use himself as an example for others to follow. In several places, he encouraged us to imitate him, to follow him as he followed Christ. He wasn't afraid to say to his spiritual children, do what I do. And he did set himself up as an example in the matter of stewardship. In the opening of our text for today, he said, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. And that's where you have to start to be a good steward. You have to have a right heart, a heart free from covetousness. You know, if you just got to have what someone else has, you'll never be a good steward. If you're always trying to get more by spending more than you have, you'll never have enough to give back to God or to anyone else. So we've got to deal with covetousness before we go any further. And the answer to covetousness is contentment. Contentment with God's provision. Like Paul. When expressing gratitude for a gift sent to him by the Philippians, we must be able to say, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry both of having abundance and suffering need, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, not only does that address unnecessary guilt when God chooses to bless us materially, it teaches us to be content with whatever God provides. Since Paul had found contentment in God's provision, he could be a good steward of what he had. And he could actually think about the needs of others. You know, he didn't work to be able to amass more stuff. He worked 
to be able to meet needs, his own and the needs of his co-workers. He said, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. Paul was a tent maker by day and preacher by night and afternoon, teaching in the hall of Tyrannus. Now, he had the right to get his living from the gospel. He made that clear in 1 Corinthians 9. In fact, he explicitly stated that the Lord directed those who proclaimed the gospel to get their living from the gospel. However, he chose not to do so. He yielded his right in order to avoid the appearance of being a peddler of the gospel as he traveled from city to city. He did receive support from established churches on occasion, but by and large, he chose to support himself through his trade of tent making. Now, there are still some tent making ministries today. Usually they are small or new churches where the minister has to provide at least part of his own support. But most ministers are supported by the churches they serve. And that means they cannot be the same example Paul set through working in the general labor force to provide for their own needs and the needs of others. Still, they should be able to set the example as stewards. They should be free from covetousness and should be content with God's provision through the church. And they should be examples when it comes to giving to the church. Now, the Israelites were required to give a tenth, a tithe of their income for the support of the Levites and priests. But the Levites, in turn, were also required to tithe the tithe they received. They couldn't just say that their life of service took care of their religious obligations. They had to tithe the same as everyone else. Now, without resorting to Old Testament legalism on the matter of giving, I believe ministers today should likewise tithe their income from the church back to the church. They should set the example in the matter of tithing. Well, Paul set himself up as an example, so I guess I should too. I tithe. And my income is a matter of public record. You approve it every year in the projection and see it every month on the financial statement. And since I tithe, it's not too hard to figure out how much I give to the church. If you add together my salary, Marilyn's salary as secretary, approximately $1,000 a month for insurance, that figure changes, you know how insurances are, and a pension, you come up with $84,560. If you divide that by 52, because I like to give weekly, 
and multiply that by 10%, you come up with $162.61. And then to keep it simple, I round it up to 165. That's what we give every week. It's nothing to brag about. It's simply a tithe of our income. It's actually what you should expect us to do. Working in the church doesn't relieve anyone of their financial obligation in the kingdom. And Paul didn't hesitate to speak of our financial obligations. He said, in everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak. Now, Paul only mentioned one financial obligation we have as members of the kingdom in this passage. We must help the weak, those without strength. But there are other musts in the area of financial obligation in the kingdom as well. There are expenses in the kingdom and will be as long as it's on earth. So how are they to be met? Fundraising, bazaars, bake sales, charity auctions, religious investment opportunities? I don't think so. Remember how Jesus reacted to the temple being made into a place of business? No, kingdom, kingdom work is to be supported by the tithes and offerings of those who are in the kingdom. It was that way in the Old Testament, and I believe it's to be that way today. Now, I realize some disagree with that, and they're quick to point out that tithing is not commanded in the New Testament, and that's true. We are simply instructed to give proportionally to our income. But the proportion recognized as appropriate has always been 10%, the tithe. Tithing is a biblical principle that cannot be ignored. It can be disobeyed, but it can't be ignored. And it can't be dismissed as a part of the law that has no bearing on us under grace because tithing preceded the law. Even before it was made part of the law, God's people tithed. Abraham and Jacob tithed voluntarily out of gratitude for God's blessing before it was required. And yes, when the law was given through Moses, it was required. Tithing was made a part of the law. God commanded his people to tithe. It was to be considered his portion of their income, and it was to be used for sacred purposes. Now, during the Mosaic period, it was specifically given to the sons of Levi in turn for their service in the tent of meeting or the tabernacle and later the temple. The tithe was their salary. Now, there were other expenses in the kingdom as well. The tabernacle had to be paid for and maintained. There were festivals that had to be celebrated. And there were widows and orphans to care for in the kingdom. How were those obligations to be met? Well, it might surprise you to learn they were covered through additional tithes 
and offerings. A special offering was taken for the construction of the tabernacle. And in Deuteronomy 14, we learn that a second tithe was required occasionally for festival expenses. And every third year, a tithe was taken specifically to feed the poor, the widows, and the orphans. Now, how all those tithes worked together, we're not really sure. Whether this third tithe was really a third tithe or just a designated part of the second tithe, we don't know. But the point is that the Israelites, those in the kingdom of God, were required to tithe perhaps even double tithe. That was their financial obligation as members of the kingdom. So what about today? Is it improper to expect a tithe from Christians for the support of ministers and other staff members, for buildings and the upkeep of facilities, for educational materials and youth activities, for benevolent works and missions? I think not. In fact, I believe every Christian should give at least 10% of his income to the church he attends. And in my opinion, charitable giving and giving to other organizations should be above and beyond the tithe. According to Malachi, the purpose of the tithe is to provide for the needs in the house of God. And it would appear that many of us believe that because we are doing a pretty good job of meeting the needs that exist in the house of God we attend. Salaries, commitments, and bills are always paid on time. The building is in good repair. Classes have the materials and supplies they need. And we generally have on hand enough to meet unanticipated needs and opportunities that arise. As a church, we are doing very well financially. And while there is no way of knowing how many of us tithe it would appear that quite a number of us do. So, I have to ask, do you tithe? And why should you if the church really doesn't need it? If we're doing good? Quite frankly, you don't give to the kingdom of God because God needs it. As the psalmist said, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The world is his and all it contains. So you don't give because the kingdom needs it. You give because you need to give. And because God told you to do so. You need to express your faith in God's provision. And you do so by giving 10% of your income back to him. And as Malachi pointed out, to fail to do so is to rob God. So are you robbing 
God. It's easy enough to find out. You know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure a tithe. Just add together your household salaries and allowances before taxes, then drop off the final digit to arrive at 10%. Then, if you want to make presenting your tithe to God an act of worship every Lord's Day, divide that number by 52. That's how much you should plan on giving every week, whether you are here or not. A tithe is your obligation. It belongs to God. And if you're not tithing, you're robbing God. But let's not end our discussion on stewardship with our obligation. Paul didn't. He went on to promise a blessing. He said, and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now that quote cannot be found in the Gospels, so we are indebted to Paul for sharing that with us. And we know from experience that it's true. It is more blessed to give than to receive. We affirm that every Christmas. The joy of giving far exceeds the joy of getting, especially for parents and grandparents. There's nothing like it when you hit the mark and somebody really likes what you've given them. But you know, there's another aspect to the blessing that comes through giving if we tithe. It's the blessing of God. Malachi put it this way. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Now, that word whole, I think that's significant, and that's why I say our tithe should be on our gross instead of our net, and we can argue about that later. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Or as the New American Standard used to say, until there's no more need. And I still like that best. If we tithe, God promises to pour out a blessing until there is no more need. Now, he doesn't promise to give us everything we want. He doesn't feed our covetous nature. We've got to deal with that first. But he does promise to pour out a blessing until there is no more need. And he actually might do that not by giving us more, but by making what we do have go further, last longer, or be more productive. Malachi also made that clear. He went on to say, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it may not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. You know, I don't know how God makes 90% of our income 
do what we don't think 100% can do. But he does. I can testify to the fact that he is faithful to his promise to meet our needs. If we'll tithe. I've openly shared before, I'm not a real good example when it comes to finances. I don't budget. Don't tell that to Dave Ramsey. But I don't. I tried it once and it scared me when I saw it in print. <laughs> I said, <"That> can't work. <laughs> but something I've always done is tithe. That's been the first 10%. That's not mine to even consider. And then I would pay my bills, and I'd get so excited because they always got paid. And then we had stuff left over to live on. You know, God has been faithful. Now, I probably shouldn't tell you this, but I actually got the house paid for this last year. And, and now I'm kind of freaking out. <laughs> yeah, my checking account has money in it. And I'm tempted all the time to do something with it <laughs> that my wife won't let me do. Usually. But God is faithful. He is good. The best financial program you can get into is tithing. Really. It sounds strange, and I'm, I'm not just trying again to raise funds. And you know I don't preach on money all the time. We talk about it when we come to it in the text, and that's it. But it's important. It's important. God is faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful to promise to meet our needs if we'll tithe. And if he will meet our needs if we tithe, that means anyone can tithe. Now, you may have to restructure your financial house to be able to tithe. You may have to sell off things you can't afford to have and start living within your means, but everyone who wants to tithe can. I absolutely believe that. So don't cheat yourself out of God's blessing by refusing to tithe. And don't, don't kid yourself. You know, how can we say that we trust God with our eternity if we don't trust him to meet our needs on earth? And how can we sing, I surrender all, if we won't give him 10%? You know, if you need to rethink your giving before you sing, I encourage you to do so. But if you're ready to surrender your all and you desire to do so publicly, I invite you to do so now as we stand and sing. Let's stand.